So I think most of us have those moments around Christmas time each year where we think to ourselves, ah, I wish this could last all year round. Maybe it's seeing lights, strings of lights in the neighborhood hung on the houses of our neighbors in the midst of the darkest time of the year, these strings of light radiating life. Maybe it's the deep peace of having loved ones gathered in, sitting around a table enjoying a meal. Maybe it's that stirring in our soul that recognizes the joy and the hope that comes from being reminded that God has come to us in the birth of Jesus. We know that we can't keep up the pace of the commercialized part of the holiday, but those moments when those words that we read on the Christmas cards that we send and receive come to life, it's those moments that we wish we could experience all year. So my observation from the time I've spent this week mulling over this morning's phrase from the Apostles' Creed is that we can have that experience all year. Not consistently, but in separate moments along the way. Every Sunday, like I said with the kids, every Sunday we remind ourselves of the basics of the Christian story when we proclaim the Apostles' Creed. Every Sunday we proclaim, I believe in Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. The creed goes on from there, as does the story of Jesus, but that is the essence, that little phrase. Uh, those two together are the essence of the, charisma, the Christmas story. The problem for us often in experiencing the event of that story all year long is that we've made so much of the holiday surrounding the story that we forget that the story came first. In fact, it was centuries. Uh, for centuries, the story was told at various times for various reasons throughout the year. Then in the early fourth century, Christians in Rome co-opted a pagan festival for the god Saturnalia. Now, if we are people who view the best in others, the Christians co-opted the festival because they felt that many of the themes of the festival, light in the darkness and the beginning of the, the new growth, many of those themes are fulfilled in Christ. If we're a little more skeptical about people, uh, we would then think that they did this because they felt like they were missing out on a really good party, which is probably more likely what they were worried about. Um, either way, the result has been that the story and the festival surrounding the story have melded together. And in the church, we generally hear the Christmas story only at the time of the festival, except in those more liturgical congregations like ours who profess their belief through the Apostles' Creed. Every Sunday, we are reminded of the story from Christmas. We're reminded that the story is something to be told and remembered at any time of the year, 
It is the story of God bringing life and hope into our world and into our lives. What we hear in this section of the creed that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, is similar in mysteriousness to that which we heard in the part, Jesus Christ, God's only Son. Somehow, God brings together the realm of heaven and the realm of the human in a way in which the integrity of both are vital and preserved. We see this in our gospel passage from Luke. In verse 26, we hear about Gabriel. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. God sent the angel. This is the representative from heaven. Then verse 27, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Mary is our sister in humanity. In verse uh, 28 through 29, we hear Gabriel with this strange message uh, that she has been highly favored by God. Um, you will be with a child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Uh, she, she responds to all this um, wondering, it says, troubled at his words and wondering what kind of greeting this might be. She expresses the, the um, perplexity, the, the puzzlement, that we all have when we're trying to think through these matters of heaven and earth coming together. So he promises the event of the birth of Jesus who will be God's son. And that event is full of life and hope for all of humanity. He's, he's promising a new king in the line of David, a kingdom and a king who through whom God has promised to bless the whole world. There's just the one little problem. Mary brings up, before things go too far, um, excuse me, how's this going to happen? Uh, I'm a virgin. Well, uh, this is where we come to the outer limits of our comprehension and move straight into mystery. The answer that isn't really much of an answer in terms of truly explaining things, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The realm of heaven and human will melt and the integrity of both are vital and preserved. The Holy Spirit is fully involved, and the human, Mary, is fully involved, including all of who she is and where she is in her life. And even though this is a life-changing and in some ways life-threatening encounter, she accepts. She says in response, I'm the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. Where many of us uh, 
get most entangled here is on the, the virginity of Mary. Some of that comes from a heritage in the church of prudishness. Um, for most of us, however, it's though the difficulty lies in the impossibility of conception without contributions from both the human female and the human male. But that impossibility is precisely the point. Ben Myers, an Australian theologian, has some great background for us. He writes, to understand the virgin birth, we need to see how it fits into the whole story of Scripture, a story in which miraculous births play a starring role. Israel, Israel's story begins with a promise to Abram and Sarah, a couple who cannot conceive are chosen by God and told that they will have a great family. Their descendants will be more than the stars in the sky. When Israel has come into the promised land before the establishment of the monarchy, God raises up judges to lead the people. The greatest is Samson. And his story begins with another miraculous birth. His mother was unable to conceive, but she's visited by an angel who tells her that she will give birth to a savior who will triumph over the Philistines. That's the story that I read from Judges earlier. After the age of the judges comes, the age of the prophets and the kings begins. And it begins with Hannah a woman full of grief because she cannot bear children. This is a story in the, the first chapter of 1 Samuel. In answer to her prayers, Hannah becomes miraculously pregnant. That is how it goes in the Old Testament. At the great turning points of history, we find a woman pregnant and an infant child brought into the world by the powerful promise of God. Israel's story, the, the story of the people of God, is a story of miraculous births. Pregnancy and childbirth are the means by which God's promises make their way through the crooked course of history. This is still from Ben Myers. Every newborn child is a reminder of the promise. Against this backdrop, it should come as no surprise to find Israel's Messiah, entering the world by means of a miraculous pregnancy. Notice how even the story of the birth of John the Baptist includes a miraculous pregnancy. In our gospel passage, uh, we hear in verses 34 through 37, Mary says again, how will this be? The angel says the Holy Spirit will come upon you, overshadow you. Even now, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she had been considered barren, who had been considered barren, is in her sixth month. Again, another miraculous uh, pregnancy, and she gave birth to John the Baptist. The birth of Jesus, in some ways then, is, is simply the ultimate expression of this truth. But God is continually bringing new life into this world. And we can experience this new life from God 
all year round. A Dominican monastic named David Steendal Rast uh, has a beautiful way of connecting our lives to this truth. He writes, when we establish connections of love and friendship, of solidarity and caring, we can feel the Spirit's power pulsating through our hearts. In those moments, we get an inkling of what kind of world God has conceived and wants us to realize in the power of the Spirit. Jesus knows God's concept of the world. He called it God's kingdom. By focusing our human efforts on cultivating tender connections and caring relationships, we can give birth to such a world conceived by the Holy Spirit. As with Mary, God comes to us, but does so in numerous ways throughout the year and says essentially Christ is within you. And through Christ in you, I want to bring life and hope. This is the way Paul puts it in that New Testament passage. Again, we hear him talking about the resolving of a conflict between our old way of life and a new way of life. And he says, with the arrival of Jesus, that dilemma is all resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God didn't deal with this remotely. Uh, In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. And finally, the law was only a band-aid. It never really deeply healed, but now what that law code couldn't do has been accomplished in Christ. And I love this, not by redoubling our own efforts, but simply by embracing what the Spirit is doing within us. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's Spirit is in them, living and breathing God. That is God conceiving in us life and hope that we are called to live out. I'll close with a poem by Lucy Shaw that I have only ever thought to read at Christmas time until this week. But this phrase, Jesus, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, reminds us every week that that story of Christmas is meant to be remembered throughout the year. This poem is titled Made Flesh. After the bright beam of hot annunciation fused heaven with dark earth, his searing, sharply focused light went out for a while, eclipsed in amniotic gloom. 
his cool immensity of splendor, his universal grace, small folded in a warm, dim female space, the word stern sentenced to be nine months dumb, infinity walled in a womb until the next enormity, the mighty after submission to a woman's pains, helpless on a barn bare floor, first tasting bitter earth. Now I in him surrender to the crush and cry of birth. Because eternity was closeted in time, he is my open door to forever. From his imprisonment, my freedoms grow, find wings. Part of his body, I transcend this flesh. From his sweet silence, my mouth sings. Out of his dark, I glow. My life, as his, slips through death's mesh, time's bars, joins hands with heaven, speaks with stars. All year round, thanks be to God.